Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Throwback Bookstack podcast. I'm Kelly. And I'm Emily. So this week we are here to discuss the book Ella Enchanted by Gail Carson Levine. And this was actually a more recent book than some of the other ones we've done. It came out in 1997. So I think it's a little bit sort of on the cusp of... I think we were both a little bit older teens with this one. I never actually read this one. This is one of my favorite books of all time. I loved this book. I am like slightly younger than Kelly, which makes a big difference when you're in that 10 to 15 range, I think. So this came out when I was probably like middle school age. And it was like, maybe like on the, it was that weird point in time when it was on the cusp of reading books that were like a little too old for you or reading books that were a little too young. And, like, this is maybe, honestly, a little too young, but it was so enjoyable. Like, it was just, it's what I would call, like, a comfort read now. Like, it's just something you could reread over and over. Made me happy. God, I love this book. (laughs) Yeah, this came out when I was in high school, so it just was never on my radar. I ended up seeing the movie when it came out, which I have mixed feelings on, but I'd never read the book, so I was really excited when this came up as the one that we were going to read this week, because I was really, really curious. So yeah, obviously I've read this book many, many times. I basically have it memorized. I have my actual childhood copy here with me. The cover is really close to falling off. Like, it I'm a little worried looks about like it. it's been trashed. It looks very well loved. <laughs> I love this book. And like trashed in a good way. Like it's obviously been like taken care of. It's just old, man. It's yeah, fucking old. Like it's not like, in bad shape, it's but it's that like, book where you open it up and the book stays like, open to that page. Literally sun faded and like like I said, cover falling off. Did they not make books out of like anti-aging things in the nineties? Because I feel like these are turning yellow very fast. It's pretty yellow. But I think a lot yeah, I think a lot of books did then. I'm looking right now on my shelf and I know I have a couple books up there that are very very age-worn. Yeah, so I loved it. Rereading it was a delight. I sat down to reread it and I got through the first few pages and I was like, oh no, this is going to be hard because I've read it so much it's going to be boring. Rereading it, I already knew the words. And then I got into it and I could not stop. Like, I could not stop reading it. I was like, gotta finish. Love this. Love everything. So in this case, we're going to make (laughs) Emily do the summary because she knows this book so much better than me. If you haven't listened to our podcast before, when we talk about the books, we spoil everything. So if you want to read this book without spoilers, maybe walk away right now and go read it. But for now, we're going to have Emily give you a summary of what happens in this book so we can make sense of what we're about to talk about. Yeah, so this is kind of a fantasy book and it's a, what's the word? Not a cover. (laughs) It's about, like, it's a redoing of the Cinderella tale, basically. So it takes place, and this girl, Ella, has... This is a world where fairies exist. And fairy godmothers. Right. And so a fairy, not her godmother, visits her at her birth and is, like, delighted. And the fairy, trying to do good, but is misguided in what is a good spell to place on a person, gives her the gift of obedience. So she grows up having to do anything anyone says, as long as it's a command. So if someone politely or even like sarcastically is like, could you move? She doesn't have to. But if someone comes up to her and is like, move, she does. And this includes things that would kill her, literally. Like she can't help herself. She can't stop. Her first memory, someone tells her to eat some cake. And so she just can't stop eating it. Like she's like crying, still eating the cake before someone tells her, It's okay to stop. So basically, it's just about her life with this spell. You know, it goes through the classic Cinderella things. Her mom dies. Her dad marries a stepmother who's not evil exactly, but definitely not great. (laughs) Self-interested. Yeah, like kind of narcissistic and like obsessed with wealth. 
And she has two stepdaughters that are both obsessed with wealth and both like one's the dumb one and one's kind of like still dumb but more a little more towards the evil side. And she does meet a prince and they get along great and it kind of follows her adventures. Her and her two stepsisters are set off to boarding school and that's the whole thing. She runs away from boarding school and through it all it's basically just her trying to defeat this curse like find a way to break this spell that this fairy put on her. She tries tracking down the fairy. That doesn't work. She eventually comes home from boarding school and her stepmother eventually makes her the servant, just like in the fairy tale. She goes through some balls. She finds her fairy godmother, like all this stuff. And at the end, she ends up breaking the spell through not any of her schemes to get through it, but through trying to protect someone she loves. Saving her own life wasn't enough for the spell to break. That didn't matter. Saving people for kind of like superficial reasons almost even didn't matter. But like truly, truly being like, I will die if that's what it takes, but I will not do this one thing that the spell, like the spell is basically like the prince finds her and is like, marry me. And she's like, I won't do it because I'd be a danger to you. I'd be a weak point. Any enemy who found out I had this spell could just command me to kill you and I would. Which is a fair point. Like, yeah. it's a, kind of a crazy thing to bring up in this. And she's like, no. And she resists it, even to the point of being like, I don't care if the spell kills me. I won't do it because it'll put you in danger. And that's what finally breaks it. I know this feels like a bad summary, but honestly, so much happens in this book that if I gave you every single plot point, I feel like we'd be here for like 10 minutes. It really is just running through all her adventures. She does so many things. And so it really is just following her, like, a year in the life of trying to defeat the spell and how she accidentally does it, basically, by not valuing her own life as much as the life of someone that she cares for. I think that's a pretty good summary. I think that sort of covers all of it. Um, because it does. It has a lot happens in this book. This is a very dense book in terms of things that happen and her adventures. And it's really good. She's a really exciting protagonist. She's a really interesting protagonist. She really sort of takes her own life in her hands in a lot of ways, and she's really fun to follow. I really I had a lot of fun reading this book, although this book is bonkers. This book is basically Jessica Jones for children, <laughs> because the whole thing is basically her losing her consent as people manipulate her in horrible, horrible ways. Everyone she loves and trusts ends up manipulating her either accidentally or on purpose. If you have concerns about consent or have, like, past issues with consent, do not read this book. I found this book really distressing in a lot of ways. I think, like, the first sort of line of my notes is, this book is so rapey. Because there's this point where her father, her father who is sort of known for being... Her father is painted as very abusive in this. He's very abusive, but like... he sort of starts out the book it isn't as a parent. Her goal is to never let her father know about this because he would use it. But it's more he's distant at the beginning, and then it becomes more apparent how manipulative and abusive he is. But there's a point where basically he, in order to save the family fortune, wants to marry her off. And to do so, she'd just gone and seen the fairy that had given her the curse. And the fairy's response to the curse was not just to, was not to lift it, but was to make her happy about the curse. So now she's forced to do things against her will, and she's forcibly made to feel happy about that. So she's basically been fairy drugged. And now her father has put her in a situation where she's having dinner with someone he wants her to marry. And he basically roofies her. He gives her fairy mushroom or elvish mushrooms that are designed to make her fall in love with someone. So it's gross and horrible. 
And everything about the whole like sequence made me feel skeezed and wanting to climb out of my skin. I love her, but like, oh my god, so much of the book is her being horribly manipulated and basically being emotionally forced things against her will. And like at the point where they're basically like setting her up to be emotionally raped by this man. That scene is pretty hard to read. And she does, like, get out of that situation and eventually, like, someone figures out who knows about her secret and, like, lifts the thing where she's happy about it. And it's just, like, this horrible, like, coming back to reality for her. I think they deal with it pretty early on where she talks about, like, she's at finishing school and she talks about how she basically, all the teachers hate her because even though she has to do everything they say, she does this game where she, like, takes it far too literally like, if her dance teacher says, lift your legs more, she lifts them comically high. And then they're forced to be like, no, not that high. And, like, have to spend, like, ten minutes giving her commands to get them just to the right angle. Yeah, and it's one and, situation where also I feel kind of bad for the people that don't realize she's in this situation. Right. Because they're just going about the normal kind of communications you have with someone where you're like, hey, do this thing. And because they don't know, she's under a spell and trapped to do it. They have to then deal with this student who's just, like, being overly literal on everything because they don't realize this is her only way of having control over her life in, like, a nightmare situation. Totally. She has this line where she was like, it was a tiresome game, but I had to play it or feel like a complete puppet. And I feel like that really demonstrates the kind of spirit she has and why she's a protagonist that you're rooting for is because she does this, even though, like, she doesn't really like it either. And, like, she kind of feels bad for some of them. It's just that anything she can do to have some control over her life. Yeah. That she isn't willing to face this curse or gift or whatever they're calling it and be like, this is how it is now. She's like, no, I'll do whatever it takes, no matter how small, to make sure that I know that I still have some control. It just, it's so painful to read. Like, <laughs> it's so well done. And she's a character you're rooting for. But so much of the book is really painful to read because she's experiencing this really horrible situation and it's such an out of control curse. And I think in a world where we are currently examining so many consent issues, it's so like viciously horrible. Yeah. But I do want to say that it's not all like as dire. Like I do oh, think no. this is one of the few books that I think is actually genuinely funny. It's so hard to write that kind of humor into books. And I think this one really succeeds. And not only that, but the person who is funny is the protagonist, Ella herself, which is something that I feel like isn't given much in the world in general. It's usually the guys who are the funny one. Yeah. And like in this one, there's multiple times when the prince who likes her talks about how he likes her because she makes him laugh and she's so funny. And it's like, she actually is like. Oh, yeah. She's like dealing with the situation in her life with a really good sense of humor. She's got like a really sharp fun sense of humor about everything and she's not afraid to sort of deal with people of higher stations with some snarkiness yeah. and some sarcasm and some like fun jokes and some goofs and she she's has, really great at it she i mean she has this evil stepsister people and like the one who figures out the curse eventually and uses it to like that's how she becomes a servant basically is like they can use this curse against her to force her to like clean the house or whatever the only way she can fight back really is by getting in some really great burns <laughs> like she really does and the best ones are the ones that kind of go over their head where it's like she'll say something and it's like genuinely funny and they'll kind of like look at her like i think that was an insult but i'm not sure how her burns are very very good 
I did. I really like, I enjoyed the humor when I was in middle school and I was kind of cautious rereading this because I was like, oh, I probably don't think the same things are funny. Like in middle school, my favorite movie was Tommy Boy. And like, I mean, I'm sure that still has funny parts, but I don't rewatch it like I did back then. I'm sorry. Wait, <laughs> your, your favorite movie back then was Tommy Boy. Yeah. <sighs> So I feel like a lot of this podcast is really a journey as me and Emily learned we never would have been friends in school, which is a hard lesson for us as longtime friends. A lot so far has been how Emily would be friends with me because of my taste in books. But hey, guess what? Here's that table. I'm just going to turn it around. Your favorite movie was Tommy Boy. I mean, I wouldn't have said it was my favorite at the time, but I'm just in retrospect thinking of movies that I watched a lot and laughed at. I'm just saying the judgment that you've put on the books I read as a as a youth. Um, I'm just gonna gonna, just gonna say that the playing field is now level. Stick up for Tommy Boy and say that I still think parts of it are probably funny. Oh sure, yeah. I'm just saying you can't you can't get on me and my taste in books when that's your favorite movie. All right, that's it. We're rewatching Tommy Boy next week instead of reading a book. Okay, then. <laughs> A very special episode. <laughs> Emily and Kelly watch Tommy Boy and yell at the screen. I mean, my favorite movie of all time is obviously the third Indiana Jones. Yeah, I have no problem with that. Yeah. So, That's like, a great movie. That was probably, like, true at the time. Just at that period in my life, the movie I watched the most was probably Tommy Boy. It was like the movie you watched every sleepover and stuff. For me, that was either Star Wars and New Hope or Star Trek for The Voyage Home. Oh, no. I was the only... Like, I did not go to a school with nerds. Yeah. I went to nerd school. Yeah, actually, yeah. All my friends in junior high, we were super into mystery science theater was our thing to watch. So I don't, I, I, yeah. I had like one friend who had watched Star Wars with me. This is what we did. I, we rolled nerd crew. I don't, I can't help you. I mean, I was a nerd, but like other people weren't. So that was like, yeah. We're getting off topic. Anyway, Anyway, this book. Mystery Science Theater is great. Tommy Boy is not. Let's move on. So Um, this book is great. The other thing I'd like to say about her is that even though she is, like, a very strong protagonist and, like, is dealing with so much shit, this book is not afraid to have her just, like, cry and just, like, out of desperation. Yeah. Just, like, so many times it was, like, and then I went to bed and just cried myself to sleep or, like, I hid in a corner and cried. It's never, like, a big downer. Like, it's never, like, I ended the chapter being, like, and then I fell asleep crying. And it's, like, end chapter, like, on this note of despair. It's more just, like, this is normal. This is what people do. It's okay if you're in a bad situation and you're upset to just go cry. And then you keep going. And you would in this situation. You would cry a lot because it's a bad sitch. But I just, oh, I loved how they, like, normalized that. That there was many points where she would deal with something terrible and, like, get through it and then be like, and then I'm going to go off for myself for a second and cry and pull myself together and be like, okay, let's keep going. No, I think that's a great point. And she, she's a hero they really give a lot of layers to. Like, she's allowed to be funny. She's allowed to be strong. She's allowed to cry. She's able to deal with a prince in both on his level, but also be very aware of what his responsibilities are to the kingdom. I think that's one thing I really respected about near the end of the book, where she was sort of figuring out what to do about the fact that she loves Prince Char. He loves her. Her curse will end up either with her being sent to kill him or her provide information against the royal family or be used against her somehow. So her best move to show she loves him is to convince him she's married someone else, convince him that she doesn't love him because that's the only way she can actually protect him. And I think she really get, is given a lot of different layers that I think really make it a really realistic heroine. Yeah. 
I'd also like to do a shout out in this book. One of her like talents that she's just really good at is languages. And they have all these like made up languages in this book, like Gnomish, which the gnomes speak, and like Elvish, which the elves speak in like fantasy languages. And she does a great job of writing these really fun fake languages. They are absolutely unpronounceable <laughs> the way they're written. A lot of them, like, I think it's a gnomish or something, like, all the capital letters are yeah. at the ends instead of the beginnings and stuff. That's always a really cool skill to give someone. Like, I'm always a big fan of that, especially in a place here where it sort of serves her as she meets these races and is able to interact with them and talk to them. And it sort of leads her to having diplomatic solutions to things and finding allies in places because she's able to talk to them in their language and interact with them. And I think it's really helpful for her, especially in this world. And it's just really it's really fun. Yeah, it's a small detail, but it's like a really fun one. And I think it's well done. You can really see the differences between them. And like you start to kind of learn the differences between all these different species through all this. It's a very good world building detail. Yeah, I think that's a really great way to put it. And I also really love her relationship with the prince. It was one of the things I didn't like as much in the movie version. I've never seen the movie. I like the movie version. I have some problems with the plot and like I have some problems with their interactions that I never had with the book because like their relationship grows in a way that makes a lot of sense and is really fun and you really like him. You're rooting for them to be happy together because like he's a great prince. He's worth being someone that you know can hang out with this really cool woman who has really cool attributes and is a really likable person. So you're like, yeah, he's good enough for her. I yeah. can deal with that. Their relationship in this book is great. Like, you really see it grow and, like, they know each other in person over a year. You find out at one point that he actually has known both her mom and has heard stories about her for longer. So he actually has known of her existence for longer than a year. But, like, you really see them, like, grow together and you see why they're drawn together. In these kind of books where the relationship is a focus... I feel like sometimes it's just kind of like, and they fell in love yeah. right away. Obviously. Because they just belong together. She's the heroine. He's the prince. Why would they not fall in love? But here, but here time, they actually, they sell it. You really see them actually, like the point where they become important to each other. You see them getting along in situations where they actually hang out. And there's a huge chunk of the book where they're actually away from each other. And they write letters and oh it's so God. good. The letters are amazing. The letters are so good. I have a note where I'm just like, his letters in particular, I was like, Char really sets you up for texts from dudes' disappointments. <laughs> if guys wrote me texts that were anything like these letters, like, oh man. Yeah, as it is, I have a weakness for epistolary novels and books that really focus on letter writing and sort of that distant relationship because you get this sort of really interesting nature of what people say when they're not face-to-face, -face, what people say when they have time to sit and think about it, like what that dynamic is of what you write to someone. And it's really hot. I'm always a fan of letters. Letters are great and they do it really well. And you're right, text messaging is terrible. We should do away with it and go back to very prettily written letters Yeah, but I don't dramatically. think every dude would write the way Char does because he just, it's so great. He's so honest and just like so delighted to be talking to her even though it's through a piece of paper and so excited for all her responses it's just wonderful <laughs> like and it just makes the relationship feel more real because they have this time to really just talk to each other and talk to each other in a really honest sort of way through the letters other than the fact that she can't mention she's been cursed by a fairy right details <laughs> Yeah, it's it's very good. And it also puts her in a position where she can be more honest because she's not standing there next to him. She's not at risk of him ordering 
you know, ordering her to do something and her having to do it. So it puts her in a place where she can communicate honestly without that sort of threat hanging over her. So it's really kind of the one time we get to see her relaxed and without sort of people around her being terrible. So it's really nice. It's just nice. Yeah. And you feel warm and fluffy and want to drink hot cocoa when you read that section. You also realize later on that there's such a measure of trust between them because she just reads his letters. But this curse on her also applies to written down things. And so at one point she gets a letter from her dad and she makes one of her like trusted it's like her friend, but it's actually her godmother she finds out. Like it's complicated. This woman that she's known her entire life, basically. She makes her read the letter first because she doesn't trust her dad not to have orders. Even unintentional orders in this letter. Because her dad is super in orders. Right? Whereas, like, she just reads his letters. She knows that even though he's a prince, and literally what he's been raised to do is order people around, like, he would never unconsciously write an order to her. Yeah. And he doesn't even know about her curse. Like, he just wouldn't do it. He's just such a good prince. Like, often the prince in these kind of, like, rewrite fairy tale books are somewhat arrogant in certain ways, and they have certain flaws, which are, you know, I love flawed characters. Flawed characters are great. But he's just such a nice prince, and he's yeah. a nice prince that you're rooting for. I am all about him in this book. And he has flaws. They're just not really applicable to, like, like, they have a long discussion, actually, yeah. about his flaws. But they're just general human flaws, and they don't really play into the story it's not the like he's so a douche and is redeemed by her love kind of plot that we see a lot in these situations it's he has normal like oversights that happen when you've been raised in royalty and you don't necessarily have as much interaction with common people and he has like sort of the normal human flaws we all experience mm -hmm. i feel like rereading this as an adult i noticed a lot of plot holes in this or like things where i was like mm, what and i was like you know what i don't even care the plot is so secondary in this book like this book is all about her relationship and her dealing with this problem, and it's like, I don't know, whatever. This thing doesn't make that much sense. Who cares? Which is, I know sometimes I get really on tiny plot holes with books I don't like, which just goes to show, like, if I think the book is a delight, then I'm willing to overlook some things where I'm like, did that make sense? Who cares? There are a couple points in here, though, where I, yeah, the plot holes I was like, hmm, really? Did we forget about... Okay, we're just going to go forward. There were a lot of points in this book where I was angry on her behalf. And I was like, maybe, maybe you should just take out a bow and arrow and just wreck all these people. These people are ordering you around. Become the serial killer of the kingdom. Get done with this. Go join the children from killing Mr. Griffin and just wreck this kingdom. <laughs> Please don't This kingdom them. is out to get... Cause, and there's a point where it felt like everyone was against her. And I was just like, oh, Ella. Oh, girl. This is not good. There's also a good lesson here for younger people, I think, of dealing with people who don't see logic. Because, like, the whole time the fairy who gave her this curse is going around giving equally bad curses to everyone. And she's doing it thinking she's doing good. And she just doesn't hear the logic. Like, if anyone complains about them, she turns them into a squirrel. And not out of anger but because she thinks that squirrels lead happy lives, like happy, uncomplicated lives. And she's like, oh, are you unhappy in your life now? Let me give you this. To be fair, squirrels are pretty floofy. Okay, squirrels are the worst. So squirrels let's not amazing. even get into that because that's a totally different argument. But, but you would so not want to be a squirrel. I think we can all agree. No, because their like, inability to remember when they're crossing the street is really upsetting to me. But they're really mm. floofy and they climb trees and they store nuts. 
We can't even get into my hatred of squirrels right now. It's a totally different thing. <sighs> my point being that, like, she just doesn't listen to logic when people tell her that this is a bad gift that you're bestowing on someone. Here are the reasons why. And I feel like this whole book was a very lesson in a young age that, like, you're going to come across these people in your life. <laughs> like, Yeah. And they actually end up sort of talking her into logic by basically they sort of challenge her in a way that she ends up accepting of what if you lived under your own curse of obedience for six months? And she does and is so horrified by the experience that when she comes back, she in fact is so against this that she'll never give anyone gifts again, including she can't even do the magic to overturn the curse on Ella because that is too much. It's too yeah. much interference. And so it actually ends up way overcompensating to the point where now Ella's trapped with it because she can't even help her. That's too much interference. I just want to say as a side note, one of the other awful like fairy gifts that you see her give is that she goes to a wedding of two giants and she loves giving blessings to weddings and newborn children, which is how Ella ends up with this curse because she just like pops in and she's like, a happy time. Let me bestow a gift and everyone will love me. And everyone's like, no. So she goes to this wedding and it's two giants and she gives them the gift of togetherness where they basically cannot go more than 10 feet apart from each other ever. And everyone's like, that's a horrible, what? And she's like, no, it's wonderful. It's never brought up again in the book. It's just used as an example of her like terrible gift giving. And I always wish that she would have written like a sequel or something where you see those two giants defeat that curse because I always if felt really else, bad for them. If nothing else, I would love a short story about how that turned out. Right? Like, I felt really bad. I was like, please tell me they defeat this at some point. That's terrible. That would actually be really interesting as books just about people defeating this terrible fairies' curses. Like I said, Ella's own life was not enough for the curse to defeat it. It had to be her willing to sacrifice her life, basically, to save someone else. This is kind of neither here nor there, but there's just so many little details in this book that I love. And one of them was she's talking about finishing school to someone, which she went to and then eventually ran away from. Yeah, because her stepsister ordered her to give up her friendship with the one friend she made. It's true. And it was a great decision to leave because it's like, there's a lot of things you can put up with, but having the person in the world that you love think that you hate them is like, no, I'm not going to put up with that. Like, that's a great reason to run away. Oh, yeah. Um, but I did love this line where she's talking about all the things she learned and how ridiculous some of them were. Specifically things like how to properly hold a fork. Things that are like so detailed of like, what? Why are you, what? And she's talking about it and she's like, I'm actually really grateful I know all these obscene manner rules and like all the proper ways to do everything. And <laughs> the exact line is like, like, I'm glad I know the proper way to behave so one can decide whether or not to be proper. Like, I loved that line when I was a child and I love it now. It's a very it's like, good line. It still serve you well in life. It's like, you should always know what's considered rude or what is over the line. Because it's like, I'm not saying never cross it, but I am saying pick when you do. Oh, yeah. It's like in writing. Like, you have to learn all the rules so you know when to break them. Yeah. Yeah, and I love also when Char finds out she's going to finishing school, he's concerned that she's going to lose that, like, fun spirit and it'll break her down. He's like, oh, well, I guess finishing school is going to turn her into this, you know, normal, very posh and uh, reserved woman. And then she comes back. She's like, yeah, I know all this crazy stuff. And then throws a bunch of jokes at him. And it's like, nope, it's fine. It just I gave her more ammo for her joking. Yeah, and I have to say that she does have the, like, what is now kind of a trope of being, like, clumsy 
as one of her, like, big, see, she's not perfect. And it's like, she's not perfect in a lot of ways, but that's kind of thrown in. I do think it's well done, and I think it was written before that was, like, kind of everywhere. Ooh, like, it's 97. I don't know. Was that the thing then? Like, like yeah. as prominent as it was now. Not as prominent, but I definitely remember this coming up in books in the 80s and early 90s. Yeah, like, so this was, was definitely been a, we need a non-threatening... Shh. A flaw for this girl. Oh, she's clumsy. Well, I do think it's a flaw for a reason, though. A, part of it is part of, part of the curse. Yeah. Like, she points out that sometimes when people say innocent things, like, go run into someone else, but then she has to, like, literally go run into someone else or something. So, like, there's innocent things that add to it. There's also the fact that it gives her, like, a reason that she's sent to finishing school because she's, like, breaking things or tripping over her skirts because otherwise her dad might have kept her at home yeah and that was the reason he sent her but also it's done with like such a good sense of humor and like over the top like it's not just like oh she tripped or like she started to fall and he like caught her one of the reasons char the prince likes her at first is he like talks about how much the story of hers made her laugh made him laugh where she um what was it like slipped on a thing of ice that she had already spilled like she spilled the ice and then she was carrying dishes over the ice and like spilled a whole bunch of dishes and broke them it's like this stupid story where it's like basically she like tripped five times and broke a lot of things but he doesn't say it in a mean spirit and like by the end of the story they're both laughing and stuff and it's like such a cute moment between the two where it's not that he's laughing at her it's like they're both laughing at this like look at this ridiculous thing i did and it's so over the top. She didn't gracefully fall and someone saw it and was like, are you okay? It was like, yeah, she broke a bunch of things. <laughs> she just completely biffed on her face. Like, yeah, I found the quote where he says, ice chips you spilled before you slipped on them. He laughed. It wasn't a ridiculing laugh. It was a happy laugh at a good joke. I think that sounds about right. So they just have such a great relationship. So it was one of those things where I was like, yeah, I'm aware that this is kind of a trope, but I think it was well done yeah i definitely think it was well executed and it feels right also because this is a rewrite of a fairy tale i feel like you can play on a lot of those tropes pretty easily with this and it doesn't feel overdone it feels like part of that part of that process so are there other quotes that you enjoyed in this oh my god most of my quotes are just burns <laughs> uh i want to hear these burns please bring us burns they're all just so short her burns on her stepsister like this one her stepmother is trying to order her to do things because her evil stepsister, who has figured out that she has this curse, has told the stepmom about it. Her mom says, uh, What a clever daughter I have. Mom Olga beamed at Hattie. As clever as she is beautiful, I said. They both begin to answer me and stop, confused. Hattie isn't pretty, Olive said. <laughs> it's so good. I love that moment of hesitation where they're like, Yeah, wait. Burns are all very good in this book. I know, and it's like, I, there's so many of them that it's like reading one or two is... Not giving you... Uh, this one made me laugh a little. Where She's talking about... So the, the fairy godmother, the woman who's known her whole life and like has known her mom her whole life and all this stuff, is also, at this point in time, working for the family as the chef or cook for the family and is like very good at it, obviously. And so Ella spends a lot of time in the kitchen with her learning how to cook and stuff. It's an overarching theme where one of her actual talents is like language and she's pretty good at cooking because she spends all this time in the kitchen. So at one point she hugged the cook goodbye and her stepsister is talking to her and she's like, I would never embrace a cook. Hattie shuddered. No, I agreed. What cook would let you? <laughs> 
And it's just like little, little comments like that that are so good. I like all of her sort of jokes and that she does keep such a good humor about everything. Um, I have a quote from the first time sort of she and Char talking about sliding down the banisters in the castle because this is the thing they become very sort of joking about. It's an ongoing sort of in-joke between the two of them. Do you like to slide? His voice was eager. Stay rails. Did he suspect me? I forced a sigh. No, Majesty. I'm terrified of heights. Oh, his polite tone had returned. I wish I could enjoy it. The fear of heights is an affliction. He nodded, a show of sympathy, but not much interest. I was losing him. Especially, I added, as I've grown taller. She's just so clever in so many little things that sometimes I feel like her stepsisters where I'm like, did I miss something? Like, I feel like there's this... (laughs) And she just writes the burns and then, like, keeps going. Like, there's no, like, bam! They're just everywhere. Like, they're just peppered in and they're so good. Mostly I didn't like her father. Yeah, because her father's terrible. He is. And it's like a weird thing because it's like, I feel like most of the time it's like a very weird relationship, which I like that it's complex. Because at first it's not clear which direction he's going to go as a father. Mm -hmm. And then throughout the, because at first it seems like he's just kind of stern. And then throughout the book, it becomes more and more apparent that he is a horrible father for her to have. Yeah. This part is so like, he sent her to finishing school and she ran away and like went and found him at this wedding. But really, she was going to the wedding to try and find the fairy who had, like, cursed him. And she had found the fairy, and the fairy had put, unintentionally, put the second layer on to make her happy about being obedient. (sighs) And so she's running around basically, like, the equivalent of being drugged. Oh, yeah. Where she's, like, happy to do terrible things, basically. (laughs) It was so heartbreaking, like, when her actual fairy godmother finds out this has happened to her. Yeah. It's just, oh god. And so it's like, it's such a, I think it really highlights his, her relationship with him because like at times he is kind of like basically an abusive father. And at times it's almost like though he appreciates when she fights back in a weird way, like, and not appreciates in a weird sick psycho way, but like. But respects it. Yeah. And is honestly like, yeah, there's my girl. It's weird. And like I said, it's a fucked up relationship overall. But it's it's complex, which I think definitely makes it interesting, especially given the Cinderella myth that often He's the, you know, loving father yeah. who then goes off and dies. And here it's a much more complex situation for her that constantly involves dealing with. And yeah, he's never like the villain and the evil father, but he's never on her side. And so at this point, she's like, like I said, and it does do a very good job of describing it, like what it feels like to be under this curse. And then someone orders you to be happy where it's almost like she gets a shot of drugs or something every time someone gives her an order that she can obey, where it's just a shot of happiness. And so he tells her that he's going to order her to marry someone rich. She goes, yes, father, gladly, when? I understood the monstrousness of his plan, but nothing could lessen my joy at the prospect of obeying. What did you say? I said, yes, father, gladly, when? You ask when, not to whom? You're so anxious to wed? No, father, only to do your bidding. What did they do to you at finishing school? No wonder you ran off. (laughs) And, like, that made me laugh, but, like, he doesn't actually care that she ran away from finishing school. He's just like, yeah, I would too. What a bummer. Yeah, <laughs> like, and then he understands like, yep, something's weird here. This is fucked up. Why are you actually <laughs> listening to what I'm telling you to do? You've never done that. This is not great. So it was just like that where it's like even these complex relationships that are like overarchingly bad, even the happy epilogue is basically like, and I didn't really ever talk to my dad again. <laughs> yeah. It has, like, an epilogue where it's, like, what happened, and, like, it basically talks about how she, like, really savored every chance she got to say no to something, and was basically like, and 
I kept track of my dad, but didn't really ever talk to him. <laughs> like, but even he knew that something was fucking up with that finishing school. <laughs> that finishing school, that was a weird, weird place for her. Yeah. No. Also, it really kind of freaked me out as a girl. As an adult, it was played off as more like, a lot of these people aren't bad. They just, you know, don't know that she's under curse. Yeah. And, like, they care about things that are really, like, stupid to care about. But, like, it was kind of creepy reading it now and being like, like, all the rooms are themed, but they're themed in a way where it's like, this is the lavender room. <laughs> and so it's like, everything is lavender. Everything. If you ain't lavender, get the fuck out of this room. <laughs> like, the finishing school was just very intense and it wasn't somewhere I expected to go because there's nothing like this whatsoever in the Cinderella myth. So yeah. I was like, we're at finishing school? Okay, I guess this is where we're going. And if you fuck up, you don't eat. No. Oh, God. Yeah, finishing school was a tough place for her. Because especially because she was trying to rebel as much as she could against order. So she would do the thing and in a really weird way. And it ended up being a very complex relationship with all of her instructors there. Yeah, the part I even remember thinking as a kid, the part where she hasn't eaten in like two days. Yeah. And she purposely like talks back to the teacher, even knowing that the punishment will be like, don't eat. And they're like, fine, no dinner. And she's just like, fine, whatever. I don't care. I just remember thinking like, you're so much stronger than me. I know. <laughs> I get hangry very, very easily. Right? I would have eaten my embroidery. <laughs> I'd have been like, oh yeah, watch me eat this shoe. <sighs> You're not going <laughs> to... <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have lasted as long as I'd she like, did. plan into the kitchen. I am going to assemble my team of girls and we are going to go sneak in that kitchen and get us some snacks. But she has no team. She has a friend. We she would has have one had. friend. Who stole her rolls and gave them to her. Yeah. It was very nice. Yeah. And she didn't even know she hadn't eaten in two days. She just thought she was missing one meal and was like, upset. That's me. I'm the friend. I'm like, one meal? Hold on. I gotta steal you some food. <laughs> if I ever go to finishing school, I hope I'm there with you. <laughs> I hope we never go to finishing I school. I hope we never go to finishing school. I feel like this is gonna go terribly wrong or like one of us is gonna be really into it. Like, turns out I love embroidery. <laughs> I'm very good at, you know, making these beautiful fl floral doilies. <laughs> right? One of us is going to be out there, like, dancing and curtsying, and the other one is going to be like, I thought we were a tea! What just happened here? Which of us would it be? I don't know. I don't know which it one of us. It could go either way. Yeah. Because I do like cross-stitching, and I do get weirdly into certain things I don't expect, but also, you have some strange habits as well, so I could <laughs> see it going either way. I definitely think you're right that one of us would end up liking it and the other one end up hating it. And it could it could be either one of us. I feel like a lot of my strange habits are just from your point of view. You measure jeans around your neck. That is a real thing. That's how you don't have to go into a fitting room to see if pants fit you. It's witchcraft. I'm trying to remember the other things. You told me for witchcraft that I do. I'm just saying you can measure your petticoats around your neck and I would be like, I'm going to be outside. My petticoats. Well, I mean, you can. You can measure anything. Hey, y'all, if you don't know... If you don't want to try on pants, but you want to see if they fit, try this right now with your favorite pair of pants to see how well they fit. Don't then do you'll this. Know. You take your pants, you hold them up so that they're like, you know, there's the back and the front together, and then you put them around your neck and they should fit. And that's how you know how big your waist is. Kelly is staring at me like she's never heard this, even though I literally one time made her go into a bathroom and take off her pants and try this. <laughs> it upset me then. It upsets me now. I'm just saying. This makes me think there is an off chance that Emily is the one that would enjoy finishing school. Yeah, I mean, it really is 50-50. <laughs> yeah, I think it could go either way. I could see this working out either side for us. 
The other option is we go to Las Vegas and we call it finishing school. I do like that. Open container laws are part of finishing school. You know, I've been to a place where open container laws aren't really a thing. So it's not Las Vegas, but it is similar. Where is this place? You know where I'm from! Oh, that's true. Wait, you've opened container laws there? Well, they're kind of weird. So it's like only on certain occasions, I think. I'm not sure. I've never been stopped for just like walking down the street with a beer there. Huh. But there are definitely like occasions because they'll be like, like if there's a parade or something. So say it's like Pride, for instance. Say I was going to Pride. And they let you just drink a beer? Yeah. So what you do actually, so like Pride goes down the street and it's like a pretty busy street. So there's like a couple of bars. So you have like a pub crawl, but during the parade. And you also do it by going in and being like, hey, I'm watching the parade. And they give you your drink in a to-go cup. I've spent so much of my life hiding alcohol in public places. Yeah, so you go into the first bar and you're like, hey, I'm going to watch Pride. Can I have a beer to go? Or, like, I usually would get, like, a vodka time to go. Because, like, they put even it in a little Pride, to go cup with, like, a straw. Like, it's like a sippy cup with a straw. Even at Pride, like, you're drinking outside, but you're disguising it because the cops at least want you to put up a token effort. No, and then you just walk to the next bar where you throw away that to go cup and then you get the next one. We are from different worlds. I know. <laughs> huh. There's actually, they had to make a law to outlaw no buckets of alcohol, because that used to be a thing that they would sell, like, a literal bucket full I'm of sorry. beer. And they're like, what? literal buckets of alcohol are now not allowed on the sidewalks. Like, you can still order a bucket of beer at, like, a bar, but you can't bring it outside. There's so many things in the statement. I want to order a bucket of beer. I want to but bring like, a bucket of beer outside. I want to have a sign that says I can't bring a bucket. Of- I one time in a different city I lived in, not going to say which one, but no. a different one, went to a bar. It was New York. One time in New York, <laughs> I went to a- <laughs> You break easily. I know. You would not survive finishing school. I, know. <laughs> I went to a bar and they had a bucket of beer and I was like... What? We ordered the bucket of beer. And everyone was like, no. And I was like, oh. and I was like looking around and another table was like, we ordered a bucket of beer. And they did it. And it was a bucket full of like six bottles of beer. And I was like, that is not a bucket of beer. That is just a six pack that you put in a bucket. So that actually used to be a thing here. Back in the day, my father told me about stories in his youth about a thing, but it's been banned here for years. That's just six beers. That's not even a bucket full of beer. So this was actually like a bucket of beer. Yeah. Like... <laughs> You put the bucket yeah, under the tap. Did you think they were in bottles? No. This is like, <laughs> you put it under the keg and you fill this fucking well, bucket up with beer. Because here in your... You put like, straw in it. Decades ago at the ballpark, you could get a bucket with six beers in it. Oh, I no. didn't realize you could get a bucket that was the beer in its natural form. I don't think form. this is a regulation bucket. <laughs> if that helps. But I would also like to say that you can also, though, if you just wanted to order six beers at a bar, you can order a six pack to go. You can be like, yeah, so you have that beer. Can I just have six of them to go? And then they just give you the six pack of bottles. The only reason you would do this is if you were desperate because it costs way more than just ordering a six pack at a grocery store. You can definitely take the beers to leave in the bar. This is blowing my mind. I've never considered actually walking out of the door, except when I'm in Las Vegas, land of open container laws, free range on the street. The beer doesn't go past the door. It's a force field. It is a force field that protects you from the world and the beer. Yeah. Stays inside. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it's been a long time since I've lived in that city. And a lot of, like, considering how many laws on smoking have changed yeah. since I did this, some of these laws may no longer be in effect. Does this mean you're but taking I me remember... home for Christmas so we can go see if we can get I a bucket know, of beer? maybe. Like, I'm just going to walk around in Christmas with open containers and see who pulls me over. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but, um, 
But like when I was in college, this was a thing. Huh. The more you know. I know, right? But like when I was in college, it was also like, yeah, and you can also order your cigarette from the cigarette vending machine next to the bar. That's a real thing. Hey, Emily, I have bad news for you. I'm leaving <laughs> all of this in the podcast. Oh, you you had a bar and you had a smokes? Just go to the vending machine. See, I'm older than you, but we'd gotten rid of cigarette vending machines at bars here. Yeah, no, I grew up in the 1950s. (laughs) I like how you are basically a a, like old man from the 1950s in some ways. You are definitely. I I think I'm gonna be the one that survives finishing school. (laughs) I don't know. I think I could take some of them out, and I feel like a lot of these things I already know. I think we're both good on the silverware thing. Start out, move in. We've all seen Titanic. We all know that rule, right? Yeah. I've only seen half of Titanic. (laughs) Which half? The beginning. It's so long. You missed the best part. Did I? Yeah. The part where the guy falls in the propeller. Did you see the part with the car? No. Oh my god. The second half is all sex and violence and drowning. I didn't feel like putting in the second VHS. (laughs) (laughs) In case anyone needs... (laughs) authenticity justification for our podcast i'm pretty sure that's it right there anyway back to the book back to the book and finishing school do you have any other quotes you want to share i know you have a lot of post-it notes in that book i could quote the whole book i feel like i actually got through a lot of them a lot of them just said like this book is genuinely funny or like uh this one just has hearts (laughs) i feel like it's worth reading it was just charming like delightful let's move on to our ratings then i am now thinking in my head about the things i've previously rated to try and like balance this against this because i never considered when we were doing ratings i should try and be consistent for all of time i am going to give this book an eight out of ten it's really well written it would have gotten a little bit higher but some of the consent consent stuff actually made me so uncomfortable that i'm like it lost half a point because i was like screaming internally yeah that's fair this book gets a 10 out of 10. <laughs> 10 stars. Come at me, haters. Don't care. This book is perfect. I sat down and I was like, oh, am I going to reread this? And then I could not put it down. I loved it. I loved this book when I was a child. I love it now. I would recommend it. I mean, skipping ahead. I'd recommend it to everyone in the world all the time because I loved it. <laughs> I will actually recommend this book to basically everyone. Kids will enjoy this. Teens will enjoy this. Adults will enjoy this. It's a good all it's it's just a good book. Yeah, it's got some good burns. It's got some like If you is... have friends that enjoy burns, if you have friends that enjoy burns, they should read this book. If you got friends that enjoy Parks and Rec, I feel like this is a very Parks and Rec-y like type of world and that it's not perfect, but the protagonist is like just great i can get behind her and she's trying to make the world better and also she's got some sick burns does leslie nope have sick burns debatable but at times but no i think it actually you're right in that assessment and the fact that you have a bunch of good but slightly somewhat flawed characters who are all very likable who are against external forces in the world around them yeah it's great it's a great book i loved it on my scale this is 10 all right uh so i think that wraps us up for this week And I hope you all join us in two weeks for our next book. In two weeks, you can join us again. And if you want to read ahead with us, we'll be reading The Egypt Game. Our music this week is Heartbreaker by Jazar. And you can find more of Jazar's works at uh, betterwithmusic.com. And I think that's everything. So I hope you all join us again in two weeks. Peace out. See ya.
He got Tegami saying see ya. That's weird. <laughs> I don't see anyone. <laughs>